0: The word Christian nowadays has a lot of different responses when you mention it to people. Some are positive. But increasingly for most, when you bring up the word Christian, what you get is a highly negative response. Recent studies find that the vast majority of people in our region use the following to describe Bible-believing Christians. Judgmental, condemning, hypocritical and unloving. If you're like me, when you hear those statistics, the first thing you want to do is to explain yourself. (laughs) Defend yourself. But I want us to think about the possibility that some of this is our fault. You know, right away what I want to do is say, well, Christ said that we would suffer because we bear the name Jesus. But what I'm suggesting is that the church has also suffered, not for Christ's sake, but for stupidity's sake. We have excused our own brokenness and lack of love and compassion we've excused it in the name of suffering for Christ when in fact we're dishonoring Christ before the world around us I want to show you a video a short rant of a millennial and what she thinks about the church just watch it for a moment
1: you want to know why I hate the church it's your eyes the way that you look at me the way you don't look at me The way you think you know everything about me from the way I look or walk or talk. The way you try to get everyone to think you have this little perfect life and you hide away anything or anyone that doesn't match up with that image. The way you try and guilt me into being one of you. I'm serious, has that ever worked before? I hate your political agenda. I hate the fact that you ignore science. I hate the fact that you preach love and forgiveness but you save saved none for anyone outside the walls of your church. I hate how you ignore the homeless, but at the same time, you find a way to condemn them. I hate the secrets you keep. I hate that you protect leaders who commit the very sins they preach against. I hate that you always tell me that Jesus is the only thing that can save me. Well, that's true. I guess I'm out of luck. Because I'll never be like you. I'll never have anything to do with you that answer your question?
0: I think there's a lot of people that share that view of us. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not suggesting that we change our message, that we find a way to become more acceptable in a world that is increasingly operating apart from God's plan and purposes. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just asking that we take an honest look and recognize that who we are is seen by the world. In other words, the world is watching, it's not just listening. And as long as we try to just engage in a debate of ideas, but our lives and how we go about mission don't match the life of Christ, why should they listen to us about the cross of Christ? And what we're learning about mission as we're looking at Luke chapter 4, when Jesus began his ministry by announcing the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's Words about the coming of God's favor and the gospel, the good news of grace for all who are God poor. And then what that results in, in comfort to the heartbroken and pardon to the prisoner and healing to the infirmed and justice for the oppressed. What we're learning is that the mission of the church isn't just about the ideas and the doctrines and the beliefs, It's not just that we preach the cross of Christ. We are called to imitate the life and mission of Christ. And I'm not saying that even doing that will result in people changing their mind who are prone to turn from God. But I'm saying let's get past giving ourselves a pass. And let's make sure the thing that people are stumbling over is the cross. Not your and my hypocrisy. Not how we verbalize compassion, but in fact live for ourselves. I'm saying our mission is both to preach Christ and to live Christ. It's time for us to embrace a fuller idea of mission that will then drive us into ministries that are empowered by the Holy Spirit because God's people are being obedient to what it means to bring the kingdom of God now. Because that's ultimately what our mission is. So let me review some of the things we've talked about at this point. Let's look at Luke 4 again. Uh, I hope you think of this as the way you do your favorite song. Or one of your favorite family videos of a great event. That you come back to over and over again. Because it's precious to you. I want this idea of what Jesus proclaimed at the beginning of his ministry. And consistently lived by throughout his ministry. I want us to... Come to love this verse. I want us to see it not only as Christ's mission, but by extension, our mission is his body on earth today. So let's say it together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time exegeting today because we've done that over five weeks. This is trying to land it. So if you have missed the series, you can find it online or on iTunes podcast. I encourage you to do that. But let's find our way through a a couple of extra passages. I want you to uh, look with me at Isaiah chapter 61, this passage that Jesus quotes. What I want you to note is a very important halt in Jesus' quote of this passage. I think there's a lesson for us in this to understand what his main purpose on earth was in his first coming as Savior. Beginning of verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor... That's where he stops. What's the next phrase? And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus intentionally pauses. He does not talk about his coming as the day of God's vengeance. This is a part of that understanding that the kingdom is both a present reality, but yet a future promise. When this old age in which we live will be done away with forever. And that idea of vengeance speaks of the final and ultimate judgment of God. But Jesus pauses. His mission at this point on earth is not about vengeance. Let's just look at John 3, verse 17. Now let me quote the verse that's just before it. Do any of you know what verse comes before John three seventeen? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus' mission on earth was not to be judge. His mission on earth, and therefore our mission today is about bringing redemption and forgiveness, bringing God's favor to the world around us. Jeremiah 29 is one more passage I want to go to with you. Turn there with me, Jeremiah 29. Very relevant for how we view the mission of God's people in a different kingdom. Now remember, one of the images we captured in our series was from that movie Upside Down, where you had one world close to another world in proximity, one pulled in a completely different gravitational direction than the other. And that's how we live today. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. The gravity of the kingdom of God pulls us upward. But yet we live in a world whose gravity, because of the brokenness of sin, pulls us downward. And a great illustration of the challenges of that in the Old Testament is when Israel is exiled by God to Babylon. And they're trying to figure out how do we now get our act right with God and live here? And many of them had developed an escape mentality just like a lot of churches do they think of the mission of the church to get as many people saved as possible and then hunker down for heaven the church becomes a bomb shelter and we become spiritual survivalists that's what was happening on the shores of Babylon they were listening to prophets who said we're gonna go back in two years just stay out hunker down God's going to judge Babylon, we're going to go home. And Jeremiah had to write to them and say, you're you're listening to false prophets. Verse 4, beginning Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down. You will prosper. There's a great analogy here for who we are as the people of God, citizens of a far kingdom living in the kingdom of this world. He calls them to be a blessing to the city of man. As Tim Keller says, bless the city of man for the sake of the city of God. So look again at this, what we've come to call the mission statement of Jesus. These are some of the things we talked about. We talked about the big picture. Show that for me, Josh. There it is. This is Christ's message to all the world, all of us who are God poor in need of him. That's the good news. It's the message for everyone. And it's about bringing God's favor. It's a message of grace. But the big picture also worked its way into tangible impact. And we saw these four areas, comfort for the brokenhearted, pardon for prisoners, healing for the infirm, justice for the oppressed. See, what we have done in the evangelical church is turn the gospel message completely into the set of ideas I need to acknowledge and to surrender to in order to get into heaven when I die. We've taken the eternally transformative part of Christ's gospel We've taken that exclusively and said, that's the gospel. What we've left behind is the missional aspect that comes from how Christ lived and how he called us to live. So to understand the true mission of the church is to understand that we are to both have a message of the grace of God for everyone, and he accomplished that by redemption through his death on the cross, but secondly, a ministry of comfort, pardon, healing, and justice, which is Christ bringing the kingdom, his reign, to earth. And so, if I were to summarize that now into two primary statements, if we we're going to take all of that that we've built over these weeks and now talk about Jesus' mission in two primary statements. This is how I would say it Jesus' mission was about a message of redemption. And the ministry of reconciliation. Look at Paul's letter to Corinth. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old have gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ and now has given us that ministry of reconciliation. We are now ambassadors for Christ. God is pleading through us. I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How did he do it? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you see this whole idea of the mission of God reiterated to the church at Corinth. It's about the message of redemption. You can be redeemed because Christ took your sin in order for you to take on his righteousness. But the result of that... Not only are you reconciled, now you get to take over the family business. You're in the reconciliation business. And as long as we think about reconciliation simply again as trying to get as many people to go to heaven when they die as possible, we're missing the whole picture. Because Paul in Colossians 1 says that the work of Christ on the cross had as its purpose the reconciliation of everything to the Father. There is both... A message of redemption were to bring but there's a ministry of reconciliation that is meant to bring the kingdom of God now even as we wait for Christ to return as king and fully put an end to this age and to bring about the permanent new age where sin and all of its result is put away with forever that will be glorious right now our job is to fulfill the mission of Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus participating in the mission of Jesus. Now, if the mission of Jesus, we've distilled it down into simple terms, is about a message of redemption and a ministry of reconciliation, here's the final statement that I want you to think about as an axiom for what it means to be missional according to Jesus' mission on earth. Ready? Bring heaven. To earth. Bring heaven to earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ's mission for his church on earth is to be the change agent, not just for lives for eternity, but to bring his kingdom here on earth. It will never be a perfect and finished job until Jesus comes. But our job is to cry for and to bring the kingdom of God to this world. Our job is to bring heaven to earth. You understand what I mean by that. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Uh, You're getting there. So with that in mind, what I want to do is offer some... Talking points. Uh, that's bad. They ought to be transformational principles. That's it. Let me offer some transformational principles as we look at this idea of bringing heaven to earth. And I want to talk about it in two layers in big picture, bringing heaven to earth. And I want to talk about our specific mission as a church under the title Bringing Heaven to Worcester. So, I've conjured the metaphor of how a lot of the church functions as a bomb shelter, an air raid shelter, where we're spiritual survivalists waiting for the kingdom to come. Jesus' description of the church is just the opposite. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ saw a militant, triumphant church, not in hiding, but bringing the reign of Christ to the world around them. Bringing the reign of Christ through the message of redemption and the ministry of reconciliation. So, if we were looking for a new metaphor, who want to not not be a bomb shelter? Uh, some of the reading I did suggested that we think of the church as an embassy, right? In an embassy, for instance, uh, Great Britain. If you went into the embassy in Washington D.C., you're in Great Britain. When you walk into that embassy, you celebrate pie tea. <laughs> you speak the King's English. I wish I did that. I'd I'd sound so much smarter if I spoke the king's English. An embassy represents a foreign land, but an embassy is not a transforming agency in the country in which it is. So that really falls short. So I was praying and looking and thinking through this, and actually there's a metaphor right in Scripture that I think is for us today, and it's the metaphor of the new Jerusalem. In Revelation, we see at the very end, not only a new heaven and a new earth, but a new city where we dwell with Christ and with God. Let's think about that. What will the city of God be? It will be a society where, first of all, people live in vibrant relationship with God intimate relationship in innocence with God the Father. Picture a society, a race in this new Jerusalem living in that relationship with the Father for which we were created. It would be a society where culture at all levels reflects the glory and the character of God. Where we stop arguing over whether A democratic approach or republican approach big government or small government socialism or democracy where we stop arguing about man's concepts of government and government becomes what it was always meant to be a theocracy where benevolent God rules and where we serve gladly under him every level of society reflecting the glory of God no injustice it will be a society based and rooted in God's love and care. No one hungry, no one lonely, no more tears. Those who are brokenhearted are comforted. Those who are imprisoned because of their wrongdoing have found pardon and release. Illnesses are no more, there is ultimate healing, there is justice for everyone under the beneficent reign of Christ. The new Jerusalem will be a society where the whole world is blessed through it. The nations will come in and out. The whole world will be blessed and marked because God has made His dwelling place with men in the new Jerusalem. You see? Oh, I love that thought, and I can't wait for that. But here's the thing. I'm not supposed to wait. We're supposed to bring it here. Our job is to extend the reign of Christ. That's what it would look like. Imagine two Christians out of every seven people in the world. Imagine if we could get our act together and figure out how to influence the world in a loving way in order to bring about that dynamic in this world. And even if we can accomplish it, don't you think it glorifies God just to make the attempt Don't you think we're called to do that? To lay down our lives completely for the redemption and recreation that God's about? Isn't that a cause worth giving everything to? What would that look like if we were to bring that to Worcester? Bringing heaven to Worcester. (laughs) Extending the reign of Christ in a way that Worcester begins to reflect that culture that presence of God through us, what would that look like if we began thinking of it as a mission here? And I've put some words together here. Now, I'm not presenting this as our new mission statement, but I am presenting this as where I believe God's taken my heart as I've wrestled through his word about this idea of a kingdom mission. The message of redemption and the Ministry of Reconciliation, you and I being citizens of the city of God, bringing that blessing to the city of man. And this is what I've got. We are the people of God fulfilling the mission of Jesus in our city by reconciling people to God through Jesus Christ. By loving people in Jesus' name, bringing comfort, pardon, healing, and justice by working to bring society at all levels under the influence and reign of God and through our city, blessing the world in Jesus' name. (laughs) Now, what would that look like? It would involve us being true to our message at all costs. It, It would. But it would also involve us looking for ways to engage our city in a way that they are blessed. There's this very interesting verse in 1 Peter, which is written to people under persecution. And it may very well be that we are entering in the next decades into a phase of severe persecution as Christians, not only because of our stance about the path to God, but because our stance on some very dynamic moral issues, social issues. We might find ourselves marginalized if we're going to hold to, even lovingly, what we believe Scripture teaches. Peter is writing to such a people, and he doesn't tell them to hide out. (laughs) He doesn't tell them to soften their message and go easy. But he does say this, live such good lives before the Gentiles, that even though at first they curse you in the end. They will praise your Father in heaven. I think that's what we're called to do. We need to be strong about the message of redemption, but we need to frankly reach out to this city in a way that actually doesn't just talk about what should be, but transforms lives where they hurt. If we don't do that, you know what's going to happen? We're only going to be known by our ideas and our beliefs about certain social issues. And the rules are being shaped in such a way that that's the only thing that will matter. We need to be bringing the kingdom into people's lives right now. We need to stop thinking that the only way to bring the kingdom is to stand in picket lines and try to change laws, because laws are not the same as hearts. Society doesn't change by changing laws. Laws change by changing hearts. The gospel changes hearts. We need to bless people in the name of Jesus. We need to work for the good of the city. When that time comes, when the conflict of the conversation and the moral choices stands, people need to see us and know that above everything else, they've felt our love. They've experienced Christ, his hands and feet touching them, comforting their brokenhearted, helping them find forgiveness for their mistakes coming alongside them in their physical calamity and bringing healing and comfort and standing up for the oppressed in the city and finding justice for them when they find that we might see some issues different than them, they need to be able to look at us and say, even though I want to curse you right now for that, all I can do as I see your life is praise your Father in heaven. That's how the mission works. That's how Jesus worked. And yes, in the end, The religious people didn't see it, and they killed him. Even that was part of God's plan, because it was redemptive suffering. This is what it would look like. Let's bless this city. Let's do more than token outreaches. Let's actually care for people in this city. On the social level, in society, we need God-fearing kingdom believers to be present and at work on the highest levels of politics. We don't just need people feeding the poor. We need people who are helping create the structures that minister to the poor in a way that God reigns over those structures, that they actually deal with injustice in a way that blesses people and honors and glorifies God. We need people involved in politics who are submitted to the reign of Christ. We need doctors and lawyers and teachers. And God bless those of you who are that right now, who are committed first and foremost to the mission of God, to bring the loving reign of God to the world around them. And will let that shape how they work, how they play, how they love, how they live. We need to invest in society, not run from it. We need to work for the good of the city. Because when the city prospers... God's people prosper. And then finally, we need to recognize that the city of God is not an end to itself. It's a blessing to the whole world. We, like a lot of new churches, are focusing on reaching the city. And that's a great thing. But one of the possible downsides of the localized sense of mission of the church is that we forget that we are not called to just a city any more than the original followers of Jesus were just called to Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem first and then Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so my warning to us and to the other church plants who have such a heart for the city is to recognize that we're not doing what's best for the city if the city doesn't understand its responsibility to use its resources to bless the world. It's the same thing as those of you that are raising your kids, and you're surrendering kingdom priorities in order to prepare them for this life, and you're doing it out of love for them. You're saying, I love my kids so much, I'm willing to focus so much on their activities and needs that they're the center of my world, and isn't that what you have to do with kids? Well, you know what? That will raise kids who are earthly rich and kingdom poor. We don't want to have a city that glorifies in its own spiritual renaissance, but recognizes even as it receives God's blessing, that it becomes a city on a hill that blesses the whole world. Our mission is to call out this city in the name of Christ, to transform it in Jesus' name. But then also with that, it's always been about reaching out and blessing others. I could go on, but I can't. Let's pray. I know I got going on this. I hope it gets you going. Father, I thank you for kind of allowing us to think about this. And you're working in my own heart, my own spirit about this. And I ask that uh, you call us out as your people, Father. You help us embrace the whole of your gospel, the whole of your mission. To never compromise on the message, but to recognize the message is empowered as we bring the kingdom of God to earth by being ministers to the world around us in the name of Jesus, in tangible ways, Father, may we be that people. Bring the kingdom. Bring heaven to earth and use us to do it. All God's people said.